Well, hey, good morning, everyone. And hey, uh, a huge thanks to the worship team for leading us in worship this morning. Hey, I'm Ben, if I haven't met you before, and I'm the pastor who has the privilege of working with the youth and young adults here at Summit Drive, and it's such a joy for me to be able to share with you all here this morning. Well, welcome to the 21st century. Welcome to a country with one of the highest standards of living in the world. Welcome to a time and a place where we have opportunities to do things that even a few generations ago, people would have thought unimaginable. We can jump on a plane and we can travel to the other side of the world. We can jump on our phones, and we can instantly communicate with pretty much anyone, anywhere. And really, it seems like there is no real reason to fear. There's no imminent threat of war for us here in Canada, at least today. We have homes that have alarm systems to keep the thieves away. We have insurance that will cover us even if something bad does happen. And when we run out of food in our homes, we don't need to go hunt for wild animals, although I know that some of you actually really enjoy doing that. But we don't have to do that. All we really need to do is go over to the superstore. We have everything we need and so much more, or so it seems. And so you'd think that as a society, we'd be a bunch of happy, joyous, emotionally healthy people today, right? Wouldn't that make sense? But for some reason, it isn't true. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. Study after study shows that we tend to be less satisfied, more stressed, more fearful, more worried than ever before. Stress fear, anxiety, worry. These are the sorts of things that often mark our lives. Here at Summit Drive, we are currently in the middle of a series called Traveling Light. And we're talking about what it looks like to take off those heavy burdens that that we often carry, to to take those off and, and to replace those heavy burdens with the light yoke that Jesus invites us to carry instead. And our text for this morning, the text that we will be focusing on is Matthew 6, 25 to 34. If you do have a Bible, you might want to open it up there at this time, Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And this morning, we are going to discover that Jesus has a lot to say about this burden called worry. And he has a few things to say about how we should think about it and what we can do with it. Let's pray, and then we will look at this text together. Father, we do thank you so much that through your spirit, that, Father, you inspired this text to be written. And Jesus, we thank you so much for these brilliant, brilliant words that you spoke. And we pray now, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that you would give each and every one of us an openness to hearing what you have to say to us this morning through this text. Amen. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, 
or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I want you to imagine right now that, that you're out on a hike in the Rocky Mountains, okay? You're out on a hike in the Rocky Mountains. It's a beautiful, beautiful, sunny day, and you're enjoying the incredible sights around you. And then as you go around the next corner of the trail, you see, standing right in front of you, a grizzly bear. How would you feel? Worried? Fearful? Probably. And that would actually be a a good thing. That feeling of of fear that you would probably experience in that moment, that, that feeling that would go through your entire body, it would enable you to respond quickly and hopefully get yourself out of danger. If you've ever taken a psychology course before, you might remember learning that fear is one of our primary emotions. It's an, it's an, an emotion that, that has an important function that it plays in our lives. Now, no doubt the grizzly bear example is extreme, uh, but that more common feeling of stress or, or worry that we might experience in more everyday life can sometimes have a positive function, too. You may have seen this diagram before. It's sometimes called the the Yerkes-Dodson Law. It suggests that our performance is highest when we have an an optimal level of stress. A healthy degree of stress can motivate us to get off the couch and to actually do something meaningful with our time. And the God of the Bible is one who calls us to be people who live with a sense of responsibility. People who take seriously the things that he has called us to, a major part of which involves taking responsibility to love and care for other people in our lives. So when Jesus tells us, do not worry, is he asking us to just take a laissez-faire approach to life? You know, to just like chill out a little bit more? I'm not so sure that that's exactly what he's asking us to do. 
there might be a warranted worry that we feel when we're seeking to, to live well, to love well, and to honor God with our lives, especially when we do find ourselves in difficult situations. And for all of us, we will be in difficult situations sometimes. But here's the problem. Too often we live with an unhealthy amount of worry and stress. Too many of us today live in an almost constant state of worry. I was talking to someone just the other day who is somewhat of an expert on these matters of of worry and and mental health and that sort of thing. And, and, And here's what she told me. She said, worry and stress are meant to arise in us for short amounts of time so that we can get ourselves out of challenging situations, but we are not made to live in stress 24-7. That's right. God did not make us, nor did he call us to a life of 24-7 stress or worry. But unfortunately, many people in our world today, and perhaps even maybe some of you in this room might feel like there is just no escape from that stress or, or that worry that, that we live with. And so we carry around this heaviness. We carry around with us this, this weight that burdens us down. And we probably already know that worrying doesn't actually do a whole lot of good for us. But just in case we forgot... I love how Jesus asks this rhetorical question in verse 27 of the text this morning. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Of course not. Of course we can't lengthen our lives by worrying more. We know that. And yet, the worry often still remains. So what do we do about worry? How can we find freedom from it? How do we take off that heavy burden and and replace it with something better? Perhaps the first thing is to recognize the way that worry works. Jesus, he, he concludes this whole section with an important command, which I think offers us an insight into the way that worry often works. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's a well-known study that was done by a group of researchers that found that 85% of what the participants worried about never even happened. 85%. Furthermore, in that study, they found that of the 15% of worries that did come to fruition in those people's lives... 79% of the time, the participants said they handled those situations better than they thought they would, and they even reported often learning something valuable from the experience. And so if you do the math, that means that 97% of the things that we worry about, 97% of those things that might keep us up at night, they're things that we actually really don't need to worry about. Most of our worries, perhaps maybe even all of them actually, have to do with tomorrow. They have to do with the future. And usually these worries take the form of what-if questions. 
Here are just a few of those what-if questions taken from an article online. What if I lose my job? What if I can't pay my bills? What if my partner breaks up with me? What if my headache means I have cancer? What if I end up alone? What if I have a panic attack? What if I mess up at work or school? We ask ourselves these sorts of questions, and they keep us up at night. And as, as human beings who have these brains that are wired to make connections and, and tell stories, the original what-if often gets blown up into something so much bigger yet. I was a post-secondary student for seven years, a good chunk of my life. And if I'm honest, uh, pretty much every single November and every single March, there was at least some sort of moment in there where I was worried. I was worried. I was worried because there were so many final papers to write in such a short amount of time. Due dates were approaching, and for some of those assignments, I didn't even have any idea what I was going to write about. I got like two weeks. What am I going to do? I can remember one November in particular when I was a seminary student in Hamilton, Ontario, where that worry was particularly gripping me. The worry started with the question, what if I don't get all my papers in on time? And the logical answer was probably pretty straightforward. If I don't get all my papers in on time, I'll get a few marks docked off and I'll get like a slightly lower grade in the course, okay? But that worry, it led me to tell a story to myself that was probably a little more like this. If I don't get all my papers in, what will my professors think about me? Will they think that I'm a lousy student? And if they think that, would they be right? And hey, I mean, this is a program where we're studying the Bible. And so if I'm a lousy student of the Bible, then like, how could I be a pastor or at least a very good pastor at that? But God called me to to ministry, and he called me to do this with my life. And so if I don't do this, what on earth else am I going to do? Is my whole life doomed? Now, I'm being a little bit over the top in sharing this, but I do wonder if some of you resonate with that. I wonder if some of you, too, allow that initial what-if question get blown up into something that is way, way bigger. And in those moments of worry, you think the absolute worst about your future and what it could look like. I've often heard this piece of advice for those of us who tend to worry. The advice, stop the script. Yes, stop the script. Stop telling yourself that story. Or again, as Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Because the things of tomorrow haven't happened yet. Most of what we worry about never will. And those stories that we tell ourselves in in those moments of worry, they are usually completely untrue. But that's tomorrow. What about today, we ask? Jesus gives us that negative command, do not worry about tomorrow. But what then should we do today? I think there are two important questions that this text invites us to ask ourselves. 
especially when we are in the middle of worry. The, the first question, what are we paying attention to? What are we paying attention to? In the text, we hear Jesus repeatedly tell us not to worry. And what are we to do then instead? This is what he says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And later, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, and here this is a reference to the wealthy King Solomon in the Old Testament, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Those words, look and see, they invite us to pay attention. Look at the birds. See the flowers. As we do, we'll see that God feeds the birds and he clothes the flowers. God takes care of his creation. And if we take Jesus seriously as a teacher, maybe we should actually like literally do what he says. You know, I've had a lot of people tell me that when they get out in nature, when they go out and, and they take a walk and they get out in the forest or they, or they just get outside, some of that worry that they feel, it starts to decrease. And studies show that getting out in nature literally can make us healthier. But Jesus isn't just saying, start taking hikes on your Saturday afternoons. There's more going on here than just that. Jesus is telling us to pay attention to God and to what he does. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. And do so through the lens of faith. If you do, you'll discover that God is a faithful God who cares for his creation. And Jesus asks us this rhetorical question, are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more valuable than birds? And flowers? The answer, yes, of, of, of course you are. See, the Bible tells us that we humans are made in the image of God, that we're made with infinite value and worth. And more than that, through Jesus coming and through what he does through his death and, and his resurrection, we are adopted into God's very family as his children. Did God make the birds? Yeah, he made the birds. Did he make the flowers and the plants? Yeah, he, he made all that too. But nothing has worth in God's sight like you and me. And so if God takes care of the birds and the flowers, how could he not take care of his people? But when we're worried, our tendency is not to pay attention to God and what he does. When we're worried, it's pretty easy for our entire focus in life to shift toward ourselves and all of our own problems, all of our own stresses, all of our own concerns. I don't know about you, but I know for me, it's in those moments of worry that I am least likely to show love to others, that I'm least likely to be open to the other people in my life. The tendency for me, and, and probably for you too, is to become consumed with ourselves and our own worries in those moments of worry. Worry, then, 
it affects our ability to live out our faith with genuine love and compassion for others. In that one particular season of worry in my life that I talked about earlier, I remember a mentor of mine sharing something with me that has really stuck with me, and I've just found it really helpful. Something that I've kept coming back to in my own life in those moments where I feel worried or I feel overwhelmed. The mentor encouraged me to ask me this question. How did things turn out last time you felt this way? How did things turn out last time you felt this way? Now, for some of you, if you asked yourself that question, maybe the answer would be, last time I felt this way, things actually went really bad. I lost my job. I I failed my test. That relationship, it, it fell apart. And so maybe asking yourself a question like that wouldn't be super helpful for some of you. But in my own life, and I would guess that this would be the case for most of you, when asking that question, the answer is, actually, things turned out okay. And if you reflect back and pay attention to where God was in the middle of that, the answer might even be, actually, God was faithful. God brought me through that. God took care of me, and he brought me through to the other side. In fact, God even did something in me that grew my faith and my character. When we pay attention to God and what he, do, and what he does, both in the way that he cares for his creation and in the ways that he's been faithful in each of our own personal lives, the worry and stress we might live with it might start to decrease, just a little bit at least. So let me ask you to consider that question. What are you paying attention to? Your own worries? Your own self? Or are you lifting up eyes of faith to see where God is at work in the world and how he has been faithful in your own life? What are you paying attention to? That's the question that I think Jesus ultimately invites us to ask ourselves. And there's one other question from this text that I think Jesus also invites us to ask. It's perhaps an even, import, an even more important question still, especially as you look at this in the flow of just this whole section in Matthew 6. And the question, what are we running after? You may have noticed, as I read the text earlier, that the whole text begins with the word, therefore. And as good Bible interpreters, whenever we come across the word, therefore, we should ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Okay? That word, therefore, it signifies, in light of what was said before, consequently, this. And what was Jesus saying just before this passage we're looking at today? Well, last week we looked at the set of verses that show up just before today's text. And Jesus tells us there not to store up treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven instead. And then in verse 24, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And so you need to choose, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? 
Last week, Pastor Dave talked about how we can be unburdened of stuff and that endless need for more. We looked at the way that Jesus invites us, we looked at how Jesus invites us, sorry, to to think about money and possessions and wealth, and we looked at the way that Jesus calls us to a life of ridiculous generosity. If you weren't here last week, go check out the message on our website. So now, in this text, Jesus says, Therefore, in light of all that, in light of all that I've just said about money and possessions and how we need to, if we need to choose if we're going to serve either God or money, because we can't serve both, he says, Consequently, do not worry about your life. And then, jumping down to verse 31, he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Now, we've probably all heard of the three basic needs. Food, clothing, and while Jesus doesn't mention it directly here in this text, shelter as well. No doubt we need those things for survival. But Jesus goes on here. For the pagans, in other words, those who do not know God, those who do not live for God, for the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Throughout the passage, Jesus, he's been telling us that God is the one who takes care of his creation. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers. And so we can trust that he will take care of our needs too. Our needs for for food, shelter, clothing, and, and whatever else it is that we truly do need. But Jesus knows that there are people in his world, and there are people in our world too, who run after these things. People who run after stuff. People whose lives really just revolve around accumulation. Whose ultimate purpose in life, it it seems, is really simply to try to make enough money, to, to, to live in a big house, to wear clothes that make them look good, to eat at fancy restaurants and whatever else. And maybe even for some of us, maybe we get sucked into that impulse of of running after those things sometimes. Going back to the the what-if questions that we looked at earlier, some of the most common what-if questions that keep us up at night are what-ifs related to money and finances. And here's the thing. Having more money doesn't necessarily mean having less worry. One retired banker and multimillionaire, Thomas Gallagher, he said this. He said, I still feel, to some extent, that I don't have enough money. I've been dealing with a myriad of psychological issues since I retired. I have more money than I had ever imagined, but I still worry. Do I have enough? If I live longer than I thought? Last week, we took a little bit of time to to look at some verses in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want us to listen to what Paul tells us in verse 17. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Which is so uncertain. 
but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Does more money equal less worry? Not necessarily. More than that, if money is is that thing that's at the center of our lives, it might even be the reason why we worry. Because wealth, as Paul tells us here, is so uncertain. It's here today, and, and it's possible that it could be gone tomorrow. And not only that, but if our ultimate hope is in it, we could never have enough to be truly satisfied. And, and even if we were, then would come the worry of, what do I do with all this money? So don't just live a life where you run after all these things, Jesus says. What's the antidote? He goes on, but seek first his kingdom. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Yes, run after God and what he wants, not just what you think you need or think that you want. Live to partner with God in in the building of his kingdom rather than simply trying to build your own kingdom. And as you do, guess what? You can trust that God will take care of your needs. So let me ask you, what are you running after? Are you running after stuff? Does your life revolve around trying to build your own little kingdom? Or are you running after God? And has your life revolved around partnering with him and serving his kingdom purposes? And if you are in a state of worry right now, maybe you could even ask yourself, is it possible that my worry is because of some misplaced priorities? Maybe that's a question that you can ask yourself. What are you running after? We've seen this morning that so many of our worries are related to questions of what if. They are related to the future, which again, Jesus tells us not to worry about. But if there is one what if question about the future um, that maybe we should worry about, well, there's one question that we haven't really talked about yet. It's a question that for all of us, or at least probably, will come to fruition at some point. The question, what if I die? What if something happens to me and my life comes to an end? I find it interesting that thanatophobia, it's called, that the fear of death, it's actually not the most common fear out there. The fear of public speaking actually ranks like way higher on that list. Interesting. But in some sense, maybe we should fear death just a little more because it's that one thing in the future that unless Jesus returns first, we all will experience. But here's the good news. Jesus not only tells us, do not worry about tomorrow, and therefore do not worry about your future death, (laughs) Jesus does something that transforms your future and mine. 
I'll invite the worship team to come back up at this time. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, it says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus enters death itself to break its power. He gives death, the death blow, through his own death on the cross. And Jesus is raised again, proving that death truly has been defeated and destroyed. Proving that there is a good future that awaits you and me if we'll place our trust in him. And so, if you've trusted in Jesus, you have nothing, ultimately, to fear or to worry about, whether for this life or the next. He'll take care of you today. He'll take care of you tomorrow. He'll take care of you in the future, even through the grave. And as we move to the table now, we remind ourselves of that reality, and we rehearse the story of Jesus as we take the the bread and the cup together. At this time, we are going to take part in something that we call communion. And this is a memorial meal that that we participate in. And, And as we do this, we remember Jesus' death on our behalf. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread, remembering Jesus' body, that was given for us. Let's go ahead and take this now together. The Apostle Paul, he goes on to write, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so let's take the cup, remembering and proclaiming the Lord's death and anticipating his coming again and the future hope that awaits us. Let's take the cup together. 